Thanks so much, Laura and, and the band. That was awesome. Um, I could have sat there and a few more songs. Um, that was just really powerful and really helpful for me. Um, so welcome, everyone. Um, great to see you all here. Um, my name's Simon Hermel. I'm an elder here. Um, preaching is pretty new to me, um, but I'm really excited about um, coming together and uh, around the Word together and, um, and hearing what Jesus has to say to us. Um, part of my involvement at, uh, at church is also men's ministry, so I'm stoked to hear the uh, footy games happening today for two reasons. Uh, one is that there's nothing better than seeing guys get around each other uh, take a few hits for each other and slap each other on the butts. Um, and also, it's something I don't have to organise, so um, I don't know if Troy's here today, um, but uh, yeah, thanks Troy for, for all the organisation he's done in that, uh, with that. So, um, Dave, unfortunately, can't make, uh, can't make the game. Uh, I also heard that uh, Tim Barnett is a, is a late apology. Um, I think his injury is a little bit more private. Uh, so, as his brother-in-law, I'd appreciate it. Everyone who knows him goes and asks him about <laughs> the reason he can't. Uh, I'm sure he'll get his revenge on me uh, as a result of that. Just don't tell him I said to say it. All right, so let's jump straight into the passage. The passage I'm speaking on today is from... Uh, Luke 9, 57 to 62. So if you have your Bibles open, let's, let's open them up and let's dive in. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Before we dive in, let's, um, let's just pray. Father, you say um, that in your word that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And um, yeah, I'm just um, embracing that today, Father. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to the word that you're going to bring, but I know that I need to get out of the way. And I just pray that your spirit would come and that you would speak through me and that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. So when David asked me to preach a few months ago, he gave me free reign on what I was going to speak on. And I remember reading through this passage a few times and wondering what Jesus was on about. Luke has clustered these three responses to following Jesus so closely together, and you know that it's for a reason. But as Jesus does sometimes, he talks in riddles that require us to step back and really consider what he's saying. So, potentially, pretty foolishly, um, I decided that the best way to find out what he was saying would be to preach on it. Now, if I'm honest, 
Uh, I'd say I probably bit off more than I can chew. Um, and if I'd known how much difficulty I was going to have in, in uh, looking at this passage, potentially I would have chosen something a bit easier. Um, but as I've come to study and wrestle with what Jesus is saying, it has come alive. Um, and I hope uh, that, that, that comes across today. So I think you, you can read this passage and have two different responses. Perhaps if you're feeling good about your faith and your obedience to God, then you might find yourself being quite critical towards these three men. I mean, don't they know who they're rejecting? This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. Shouldn't they just drop everything to be with him? That's what we would surely have done, right? If we were there. And alternatively, you might read this passage and cringe at how harsh Jesus sounds. Why, why can't he just speak plainly? And let the dead bury the dead? That's pretty harsh. He makes some bold statements and he makes no illusions about what is necessary to participate in the kingdom movement and what it will cost them. So what's going on here? Is Jesus just being impatient? Is he being demanding? Is he being intolerant? So I, th I think we need to start off with some context. You see, I think the first thing we do is put ourselves in the shoes of these three men. At that time in Israel, Israel was being lorded over by the Romans and the Israelites were being treated like second-class citizens in their own land. And yet every time they went to the synagogue, every time they heard the scriptures, they were reminded of the promises of their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and that one day they would have an everlasting kingdom, one that would be governed in peace and free from oppression. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom and performing miracles, people came flocking to him in, in the hope that his claim of this kingdom was true. He spoke with power and authority. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. But he spoke in ways about the kingdom that they didn't understand. Now, Jesus knows at this point that the, his time on, on earth is coming to end. If we go back just a few verses to Luke 9.51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And then when we read just ahead at the start of chapter 10, we see that he is recruiting 72 disciples to send out to spread his message. And we see that these three men are the potential recruits in going forth and proclaiming the message of his kingdom. So Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem and he knows what he, he's going there to do and he has an urgency about spreading that news of the kingdom of God across Israel. So why is Jesus being so demanding? It's not like these men are hurting anyone. Are they breaking the law? Are they sinning? They don't even appear to be selfish in their requests. But you see, Jesus has never been on about outward appearance. He's always on about what's in here, what's in our hearts. Hebrew 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Jesus is the living word of God and time and time again we see in the Gospels 
that Jesus' replies cut straight to the heart. So in this passage, we have to trust that his responses to these men are responses from what he sees in their hearts. He's holding them back from truly following him. Jesus is making a clear statement to these men about the kingdom of God. And if you're going to summarise that statement, I think it would go something like this. The claim of God's kingdom trumps any other legitimate claim on our lives. Let me say that again. The claim of God's kingdom trumps any legitimate claim on our lives. See, my biggest battle over the last few weeks has been struggling to find a word that identifies the root cause of what's stopping them from following Jesus. The thing in their hearts that's holding them back. At first I thought, well, maybe it's security. We we desire security in this world, don't we? We want to feel safe, we want to feel comfortable. But it's not just security that we seek, is it? We also want to know that we have value, to know that we belong somewhere, to someone, that we are loved for who we are. And I think the word that sums up both of those things, our value and our security, I think that word is identity. Everyone say identity. Identity. (laughs) Great, that's great. Thank you. Sorry for demanding that of you. (laughs) Where we find our value and where we find our security is where we place our identity. Let me say it another way. We find our identity in those things that show us our value and that give us security. So let me ask you a question. What makes you, you? What makes you unique amongst your friends and family? What makes you feel secure about yourself and your life circumstances? Are they temporary or are they eternal? Jesus looks at these three men and he sees where they have placed their identity And his response to each of them cuts immediately to their heart and shows them where their hearts are divided. The first man's identity appears to be found in his possessions, his home, the place where he lays his head. In other words, his own little kingdom. The second man appears to find his identity upholding the law, his duty to his religion and his duty to his family. He sees himself as a good and righteous man. And finally, the last man identifies himself purely in his family and his worth is caught up in what they think of him. Can any of us identify with these guys? Does it make any of us feel uncomfortable? You see, Jesus' words shouldn't just cut to the hearts of those men, it should cut to our hearts as well. We might even get a little bit defensive. What's he saying? What's wrong with having a home? What's wrong with doing the right thing by your family? What's wrong with your identity being in your family? Surely Jesus has more important things to worry about than addressing these things in our lives. Excuse me, I'm just having a drink. So a lot of you know that um, I work as a policeman and I've been doing that for the last 13 years. And over that time, I've seen and met some pretty interesting people. Um, They're pretty, quite often, very convincing and very good at lying. Um, A few months ago, I came across a gentleman. He was in his 50s. Uh, He looked like he'd had a pretty rough life. 
Uh, and he was driving a vehicle and he was acting a little bit suspicious. And so I stopped him, I asked him his name, and he, he told me his name, obviously for, for reasons I can't tell you what his name is. So let's just say his name was John Smith. <laughs> John's here. Yeah, good. You got it. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I said, do you have anything, any wallet, anything with your name on it? Uh, and uh, he, he immediately said, oh, no, I, I left my wallet at home. Now, as a police officer, when someone's acting suspicious, they give you a name and then they say they've left their wallet at home, your suspicion starts to, to raise and, uh, and you're starting to think these, he, he's telling me a lie. So um, I said, well, do you have anything in the car with your name on it? And he produced a registration papers and it had John Smith on it. So I said, all right, well, I'll do some checks on the computer. What's your date of birth? And he said, oh, 19th of the 12th, um, and then proceeded to change the subject completely. So I said, 19th of the 12th, what? He said, 19th of the 12th, 1986. I said, 1980 what? He said, 1986. I said, you weren't born in 1986. He said, yeah, I was. I said, no, you weren't. He said, yeah, yeah I was. So at that point, I, I could see I wasn't going to win the argument, so I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll trap him. I said, so how old does that make you? And immediately, he said, 32. And I sat by the car and I was... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 32. So he was smarter than me. Um, so I said to him, you're not 32. He said, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. And then he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got this uh, disease that causes me to age. <laughs> That's why I've got arthritis in my hands. I'm on medication. And I could see that I wasn't going to be able to get through to him. And so I said, I was wearing a body-worn camera, and I said, listen, mate, this camera is recording your face telling me that you're 32 years old. Now, when I find out who you are, a further charge is going to be laid in relation to give me a false name. And his head dropped, and he said, no, I'm not 32. <laughs> this means I'm going to be arrested, doesn't it? <laughs> um, he ended up being disqualified, uh, and yes, he did get arrested. <laughs> um, let's just get to my page. So, the same man said, two weeks earlier, told me that He'd been stopped by a police officer, he'd produced his registration papers, and the police officer had let him go. Now, believe it or not, this actually happens quite often. And if they're good drivers and they look inconspicuous, they might get away with it for quite a while. But see, eventually something's going to happen, a car accident, a speeding ticket, and they're going to end up being found out. And I think our lives are a little bit like driving a car. We might be driving really well, sticking to the rules, staying within the lines, but without the correct license, without the right identity, we're driving around on false pretenses. We're driving around with a false identity. 
That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? And this word is not just for some of us. It's for all of us. We could be here in church for the first time, or we could be here, we could have been Christians all our lives. But if your identity is not found entirely in Christ, then your heart is divided, and we need to hear the, heed the warning of Christ's call to follow him above all else. So what is our true identity? If we want to know our true identity, we have to go all the way back to Genesis. To summarise Genesis 1 to 3, we see that we were made in the image of God. Our true identity was in our relationship with him and our role was to participate in God's rule over all the earth. But Genesis 3 shows that we turned our backs on him and we basically said, we don't want your identity, we want to make our own identity. And we did. We lost our true identity and what we became was horrible. And the rest of the Bible is about God pursuing humanity with an ultimate goal of reuniting us with him and with our true identity. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to these three men. He's saying, I know who you truly are. I know where your true identity is. But to find it, you have to follow me and you have to leave your false identity behind. A lot of you may know um, of my testimony in relation to my car accident. If you don't know my story, about three and a half years ago, my life was cruising along. I was a regular church tender. Bree, my wife, and I had four healthy kids, and I was trying to do my best to be a, a good Christian police officer. I was active and sporty. I thought I had life sorted out, but without really acknowledging it, I had this belief that as long as I was doing all the right Christian things in my workplace and my community, that God wouldn't let anything too bad happen to me. From the outside, I had the appearances of being a good Christian, and I guess I was, but on the inside, my identity, my security was divided. Pretty much in the same way as these three men in the passage. My identity was in my home, my career, my family, and my good works. And then one day, without any explanation, I pulled out in front of a truck. Now, I mean that literally, not metaphorically. I know I was talking about driving before. Um, and I won't go into all the details, but essentially it was a pretty big deal. Uh, I broke a lot of bones and I gave everyone a big scare. And when I came out of hospital about 12 days later, all those things that I placed my identity in were gone. Now, God used that time in my life to minister so, so strongly to me and with the support of so many in this room, uh, he showed me that I didn't need anything else other than the identity I had in Christ. In other words, I could lose everything else and still have security and know my worth as a child of God. But see, I had this one bone in my forearm that just refused to heal. And after about one and a half years, another surgery and countless visits to the hospital, my x-rays showed that the bone still hadn't healed and I was sent away again for another six weeks. I remember getting out of hospital and just feeling lost. I didn't understand why God wasn't healing my arm. I remember calling mum. Hi, mum. 
on the way home and I just said, I think I'm going to have to get used to the idea that I'll never play sport again, that I'll never be physical again, that I'll never be a policeman again. As I drove home, I, I cried out to God asking him what was going on. What was his plan for me? I had to drive past where I had my car accident and as I did this, I had this sudden urge to pull over and, and just stop and look at the intersection. I guess I just wanted to see something, to know why, what had happened had happened. As I was standing there, I looked at the street name and I saw the street I'd pulled out from was called John Street. And I thought, oh, there's a book of the Bible, John. So I walked over and, and I, I read the number on the corner of the street of the intersection and it was 217. And then I walked across the road and on the other side of the road was 219. Now, stuff like that doesn't happen to me very often and I guess I probably wasn't too hopeful but I thought, I'm going to go home, I'm going to open up the passage and I'm going to see what it says. So I went home and I opened up to John 2.17. And when I opened it, I saw that it was the story about Jesus when he just cuts loose in the temple. Do you, do you know that story? Jesus kind of flies off in a rage at how the Israelites have turned God's temple into a money-making business. And he starts pushing over tables and driving out the animals and the money changes. As I said earlier, Jesus is usually this calm, controlled, peaceful man that, that spoke with righteous authority and silenced his opposition. And so when I read this story, I was always a bit embarrassed for Jesus. I'd always put myself in the eyes of a spectator in the temple, watching Jesus run around and looking like he was having some sort of mental breakdown or something, and not understanding what he was doing. Then I read the verses. I read John 2.17, which says, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And John 19 said, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. As I meditated on these passages, I saw that through Christ, I too was a temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6.19.20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. If I was a living temple, then the whole purpose of my existence was to worship God and bring Him glory. And as I looked back over that last year and a half, I realised all along essentially what Jesus was doing was running around inside me, kicking over tables and driving out idolatry. And I felt like God was clearly saying two things to me. The first thing was, I care more, much more about your holiness than your happiness. Can I say that again? And I want to say it for you too, because it's not just for me, this is for all of us. God cares much more about your holiness than about your happiness. In other words, he loves me so much that he can't stand to let me continue holding on to those false identities. And the second thing he showed me was that he is in full control of my, of my temple. And even if 
my body never healed again, that I had worth and I had my identity in Christ. Roughly six weeks later, I was encouraged to go to our elders um, for prayer. Our pastors and elders laid hands on me. They anointed my arm with oil and they prayed for me. The next day I went for my x-rays. My family um, was praying and fasting for me. And when we saw the x-ray, we saw the bone had completely healed the whole way through. How gracious and amazing is our God. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, Jesus may demand a lot of us, but it's not to take from us, it's to give to us. It's not to imprison us, it's to free us. He is a holy God, and we're created to bear his image throughout the earth and to bring glory to his name. He desires so much to be in a relationship with him. He desires us to be in a relationship with him. But with that comes a requirement for us to surrender everything to him. So as we come to a close, I just want to point out one final thing. As Jesus speaks to these men, he's already set his eyes towards Jerusalem, knowing that he is going there to take the punishment that we deserve and to suffer and die at the hands of men. His identity as the Son of God would be challenged in every possible way. And yet his love and his obedience to his Father stood firm against all else, and he won victory over sin and death once and for all. Luke 9, 23, 26 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, but yet lose or forfeit themselves or their soul? Jesus never demands from us anything that he hasn't done himself. And as he calls us to follow him, he knows that just as his life was contested at every turn, so our lives will be contested by the world by the flesh and by the devil. We are told constantly in the Bible that as followers of Christ, we will face persecution, we will face suffering, we will face temptation, we will face isolation, we might even face death. If our identity is in anything other than Christ, then it's like building our houses on sand. But if our identity is in Christ, then we have a firm foundation and nothing will shake us. Now, we aren't told whether these men end up following Jesus or not. But Jesus is asking us the same question today. Where is your identity? Where is your worth? If it's in anything other than Christ, then it won't be satisfying. Not in marriage, not in family, not in sport, not in children, not in health, not in religion, not in music, not in career, not in money, 
not in possessions. The list goes on. And each one of those are different for each one of you. And Jesus is saying, in this passage, he's he's pointing to you. His word cuts to us and we need to hear him today. What is it that we need to hand over? What is it that we need to surrender to Jesus? But when you accept Jesus into your heart and you believe what he did for you on the cross, he hands you a shiny new license with a name on it that describes you perfectly, like John Smith. (laughs) And underneath, underneath that name, it reads, Loved, forgiven and worthy. Let's go out this week living in that identity. And as we do, we will bring in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we hold on to our false identity so closely sometimes. We fear what it means to lose part of ourselves and yet what Christ is calling us to do is to surrender all to him and Father I've got a lot a long way to go in surrendering everything to to you and I'm sure people in this room are on the same journey as I am but Father we want to come to you as individuals, we want to come to you as a church and we want to Surrender all to you. We want to place our identity in your grace and your mercy and your love and know that we are worthy despite all else. And Father, we want to bring glory to you, glory to your name. And I just pray that you would do that work in us, Father. And that as we go through suffering, as we go through temptation, that we would build our lives on Christ, that we would be a sure, firm foundation. So we just lift this to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.